2: now
4: Greetings and salutations, loyal viewers of this channel. Today we're going to talk about David Doyle, somebody I don't think I've ever discussed on this channel because one of you guys out there, one of my buddies, actually sent me a clip where he mentions me and a time code so I don't have to watch the rest of his crappy video. And the reason we're going to talk about this is because David Doyle thinks that he has some kind of W on me. He decided to go in and look for and try to hack out something where I allegedly lost a point to Emma Vigland, And we're not going to let that stand. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to completely destroy the lead and gasoline was the sole reason for the crime dropping argument. But before we get into that... I'd like to poison the well a little bit, because David Doyle is a member of the leftist mafia. If you'll remember, they got into it with Anna Kasparian, and during the course of that argument, Olay put out this tweet. In the tweet is out-of-context clips of Anna Kasparian saying the N-word, and each and every one of these clips is Anna Kasparian reading a quote from somebody in a story where the whole point of the story is to condemn the person who used it as a racist. Yet Olay Caption this with Anna will call you the n-word meaning she was trying to give the impression that Anna was saying this as a slurt against black people and David Doyle just like the rest of the cowards on the leftist mafia not only never called this out not only never said that this was wrong but they also pretend like they've been so nice to Anna Kasparian that's what this guy does to somebody on his side that's what this guy does to somebody he considers a political ally absolute cowardice through and through 100 percent undeniable and this is coming for me the person who has probably criticized anna kasparian as much as if not more than anybody else on the internet now that we got that out of the way the well is sufficiently poisoned let's thank the members who signed up over on actualjusticewarrior.com join
0: oh, give me the money give you give me the money
4: okay and thank you to my podcast listeners on apple spotify and google's podcasting platform
5: and i'm gonna there's another clip that's gonna touch on that as well but it's just it's so absurd to me let me get to the next clip here this is um again about uh i think this is about poverty and crap oh no this is actually different uh no this is yes sorry (laughs) I have so many clips here, I'm getting lost. This one is about how uh, poverty leads to crime. And the other guest on here, whose name is, uh, let's see here, Sean Fitzgerald. This is a debate mostly between um, him and Emma.
6: Poverty, clearly, this is a very simple concept, leads to something like shoplifting. Why would someone shoplift based on a personal pathology? They're shoplifting because they're desperate.
4: Not necessarily. Like So we have a lot yeah. of lax shoplifting laws in California, for example. So and what they find is fun? we have a lot of organized retail theft because there's no consequences for it. That's For instance,
6: there are people trying to make money and they're desperate. And we have we have untold levels of income inequality in this country. Well, is it income inequality or Since since the late 70s, 900 percent. That's the increase in CEO pay versus 12 percent for the working class in this country. You don't think that that leads to levels of desperation?
4: So wait, wait, is work. income inequality the cause or is poverty the cause? Because those are two different things.
6: Uh, I mean, they go hand in hand.
4: They really don't.
6: Yes, they do. Because all not the wealth all. is going towards the CEOs and to the billionaires in this country. But it's not and a zero sum economy. But, what, 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 but,
4: but also, if income inequality is the driver of crime, then how come we saw a giant crime decline after the mid-90s when income inequality was going up. In fact, we saw this happen all the way to 2019. So this clip is me arguing with Emma Viglin about what is the cause of crime. Now, if you're not keeping track, if you don't understand the whole context of this conversation, Emma is cycling through three different root causes for crime, and I'm debunking them one by one. One of the first things that she said was access to healthcare, we need Medicare for all to reduce crime, which is ridiculous and absurd because what I was talking about was the increase from 2019 year over year to 2020 and beyond and it's not like we repealed a medicare for all program in order to get that increase then she moved on to poverty i've addressed this so many times on this channel and i will address it a little bit later on but what i caught her doing right here was pivoting to income inequality which is completely different which is something that conceptually emma seems completely incapable of understanding so wait wait is income inequality the cause or is poverty the cause because those are two different things
6: I mean, they go hand in hand.
4: They really don't.
6: Yes, they do. Because all not the wealth all. is going towards the CEOs and to the billionaires in this country. But it's not and a zero-sum economy. Down. But what, what,
4: what, I, I what, but, what but, but also, if income inequality is the driver of crime, then how come we saw a giant crime decline after the mid-90s when income inequality was going up? In fact, we saw this happen all the way to 2019.
6: Can you repeat that?
4: We had a giant crime decline from around 1995, 1996, nationwide, from... All the way to 2019, while income inequality was rising during that period of time. Right. So why would that occur if income inequality is driving crime?
6: I mean, I, I'm I'm not exactly sure you're the expert, but I do know that you're saying that there was an increase in crime in 2021 and 2022, well, and it doesn't matter now that it's if going back this. down to 2023 levels.
4: Now, I will point out that I never, ever got an answer to the question that I asked. I will point out that I said it twice to Emma Viglin, and she pivoted off to some random 2023 talking point. So I'm going to state it right here for anybody to address it, anybody to come out and say it, because... It needs to be answered if you're going to make the case that income inequality is driving crime. During the nineteen nineties, we saw the greatest crime decrease in American history. In American history, at the same time, we saw some of the largest expansion of income inequality in in the history of america if income inequality is what is driving crime then why is income inequality going up at the same time that the greatest crime decline happened in american history
5: all right i'm not even sure why this guy is debating this point because he appears to later on acknowledge after emma brings it up that lead in gasoline led to a massive crime spike and then when that was taken out it dropped So that's what caused that that drop in crime in the 90s, despite the increasing levels of income inequality.
4: So David Doyle right here, I don't know if he's dumb. I don't know if he's misremembering. I don't know if he's being disingenuous. But what he's saying is completely inaccurate. I did not... Acknowledge. Nor did I concede that the lead in gasoline was the sole contributor to the rise of crime or the most prominent reason for the rise of crime. I specifically said it played a role, and then I specifically went on to add that public policy is a huge impact of it. Don't believe me? I have the clip right on hand. The lead would play a role because it was in gasoline, so it was in right, the air. air and yeah, so it's and impacting we know everyone.
1: It's, it depresses uh, uh, brain function and things like that. True. Yeah. But
4: I think public policy has a huge impact as well because again we saw a dramatic crime this crime wave started in the 1960s right and this is when we started embracing this idea that poverty was the root cause of crime that this was more the realm of the social workers all things that sound really familiar to today and from 1960 all the way to 1979 the incarceration rate, even though in raw numbers it was rising, was dropping per capita. So we saw this crime increase, and you would, what you would end up getting in 1979 for murder, on average, was something like five years. For rape, it was something like 3.4 years. And obviously, like this created a problem because we just weren't prosecuting people. This is why we ended up going with a mass incarceration solution, which, by the way, did work and all these other policies to get tough on crime you laugh but you're definitely so right here david doyle says oh they removed lead from gasoline he said i conceded this point but again i said it played a role and by the way if you want more information on that if you haven't heard about that
5: there's a lot of resources on it just look up gasoline lead crime and you'll find a lot there's i'll link to this below in case you want to read more about it from vox here they have a whole graph showing the connection between lead and crime and the drop and the increase, all that stuff.
4: And then he's like, oh, it's completely proven out by this Vox article. Here's this chart right here. Very nice of you, David, to look up the article for me and pull up this chart. And he says you could just read about it, and he tries to move along from it. But the thing is, I don't like to do that. I don't like to move along with this, because when you look at this chart on its face, you could already tell that the connection between lead levels and crime is isn't actually present there so let's get into it so when you look at this chart on its face initially it looks like a strong correlation we have three different lines which are the usa average preschool blood level then we have the violent crime rate according to nevin which covers 1960 to 1998 then we have the violent crime rate post that which is 1998 to 2013 Now, these are the preschool lead levels, and you need to understand with the years on the bottom that they're actually doing a 23-year lag. Now, this 23-year lag is the first red flag in this specific chart because they're doing the lag to see what these children grow up to be. And essentially, they're trying to say that the lead levels in youth exposure impacted them in some way, IQ points, some kind of brain damage, chemical imbalance, whatever you want to say. And by the time they become peak offenders, that's... That's when the impact is seen, and there you have the clean correlation, specifically in the middle of the chart. But the thing is, your preschool age is age 3 or age 4, and if you tack on 23 years, you get age 26 to age 27. This is not your peak offending years. It is actually beyond your peak offending years, which are age 15, 16 to 24, maybe 25. So already, I'm looking at this chart, and I can see them doing statistical manipulations to get to the conclusion where they want this chart to line up that is a big red flag to me. You would want to look at a 10, maybe 15 year time lapse to get these preschoolers in the heart of their peak offending years in order to track violent crime appropriately. So again not really that accurate on top of that you notice the big separation at the end there it stops tracking completely but this on its own doesn't necessarily mean that there is no correlation or that removing lead wasn't a net good for crime it could be true that removing lead does reduce crime but once you get to a certain point where lead is at low enough levels in people's bodies removing it or reducing it beyond that point isn't actually effective. So what you end up having is a diminishing return situation, or as we talked about on this channel multiple different times, marginal utility. This is one of the reasons why I said I think it plays a role. However, it does not explain entirely or in large part the gap. And by the way, if you want
5: more information on that, if you haven't heard about that, there's a lot of resources on it. Just look up gasoline, lead, crime, and you'll find a lot there's a link to this below in case you want to read more about it. From Vox here, they have a whole graph showing the connection between lead and crime and the drop and the increase, all that stuff.
4: Now, the way that David Doyle presents this is that this chart proves it. Obviously, you can see the correlation. Ignore the clear and obvious separation at the end there. But if you read the Vox article, you'll get the explanation. It's out there for you to look up. So don't worry about it. It's right there. But the thing is, David, I know for a fact that you didn't read this Vox article. I know for a fact that you didn't look into it because all of my criticisms come from the Vox article, right underneath this specific chart, maybe where you stopped reading this, there are the critiques that prove that this theory is not as strong as people think it is. Let me read from just underneath the chart in the Vox article. The case against... The lead theory has the same problem as the abortion theory. In the 1990s, even people who had been exposed to lead as children started committing fewer crimes, albeit not to the same extent as their younger cohorts. That indicates while reduced lead exposure may have been a factor... Even a big one, it may not explain the entire crime drop. Now, what was it I said on the show? What what was it that I I responded to Emma putting forward this theory with? The lead would play a role because it was in gasoline, so it was in the air, air yeah. So it's impacting everyone. It depresses uh uh, brain function and things like that. True. I think public policy has a huge impact as well. Yeah, that's right. It played a role. The reason I said that is because this is the expert opinion. But there is more, again, from this Vox article, the very next paragraph that David Doyle didn't bother to read. One study published in the Journal of Quantitative Criminology, also found the correlation between lead and crime seems to be based on faulty data from the FBI's uniform crime report, which collects reports from police departments around the country. The study suggested that when you look at the more reliable national crime victimization survey and homicide data, there is little to no correlation between lead exposure and crime. So at the very least, lead does not seem to explain the full crime drop. Now, if you've been following this channel, you know I've been talking Talking about the way that we measure crime, which data is the most reliable versus which data is less reliable. And I often talk about the uniform crime report and how the best thing that they measure by far and away is homicides because in a case of homicide, you have a dead body. But for other crimes, you want to go to the national crime victimization survey, which is a survey that they send out to about 150,000 households each and every year. And it asks people about their victimization. And by the way, if you're wondering why we don't get good homicide data from the national crime victimization survey that is because i don't know if you're aware of this but victims of homicide don't often fill out surveys all that well so david the absolute schmuck that he is says that i conceded this point when i did not then he says oh it's proven out by this vox article you should just read it and it turns out the vox
2: Order now
1: fighterflare.com Flare.com.
4: Box article with this specific chart is not proving it out. In fact, it makes a better counter case in the article right below the chart that he cited to prove the opposite. The Vox article even provides a second chart not shown by David Doyle, which maps all the data sets reference against one another. And as you can see, the more reliable homicide data and the more reliable National Crime Victimization Survey data does not align with the lead hypothesis, but the Uniform Crime Report data does align with it. Now, I talked about a million times on this channel that we use the National Crime Victimization Survey to compare how good our reporting is to fill the gaps in that data. So we know the flaws of the crime report data, and choosing to use that instead of this combination is obviously intended to find an explanation, or maybe it was just a mistake by the researchers, but I'm just saying, this is kind of a well-known thing. Now, in their bottom line, again, from the same article, it says that lead at least had some effect, and they're quoting from the Brennan Center's study in 2015, which attempted to qualify several causes of the crime decline, and what they said was the data on lead is not there enough in order to quantify its impact. As I said on Timcast, and as I will continue to say, I do in fact believe that lead had some impact. Lead and gasoline in the air, it's obviously a neurotoxin, and that can create problems. However, it just is not supported by the data that this is in fact the cause. Now, as for poverty and all these other things, I've shown you before, and I'll show you again, all these different charts related to recessions and crime and or homicides and guess what when you look at the data you can see there is no particular correlation between recessions and homicide in fact in some recessions homicide continued to go up as it was already on a trend in other recessions homicide rates went down significantly again keeping with and or accelerating that same trend but how do you like Why would somebody
5: shoplift unless they need some shit?
4: (laughs) Like, that's. So, when I talk about how people on the left really genuinely believe that all criminals are Aladdin, this is the exact smug, idiotic attitude I like to point to in order to highlight that. And look,
5: I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are, you know, I don't know, some teens who do it for fun, uh, of course, but just generally. People in desperate situations need to survive.
4: When they're in those situations, they do more desperate things. You're in a desperate situation right now, so you're desperately trying to appeal to emotion because you have no ground to stand on. As I said multiple different times, as we get into a recession, we sometimes see a slight blip in terms of theft in the country however consistently since we pass laws to criminalize and punish shoplifters that increase is quite small in comparison to what we're seeing now now we were referring to new york city in the debate so i'm going to put this chart on the board for new york city numbers as you can see Petty theft, in terms of specifically shoplifting, has skyrocketed. This is at the same time that we have bail reform, which specifically means you can't hold these people for repeat offenses. And as I talked about again on the show, we have about 300 people that account for a third of the shoplifting arrests in the city of New York. So we have a bunch of repeat offenders that are getting churned out back on the street. So the reason these people keep stealing is not because they're desperate to ...in need of help. It's because they want money and there's no consequences for that theft. If you're desperate, go on welfare. If you're desperate go to the various number of government services, or I know this might sound crazy to David Doyle, get a job and earn money. Your desperation does not give you the right to steal. Now, we also talk about on this channel about how this kind of specific theft is up in areas specifically where you have lax policies around this. In New Jersey, where they actually can assess your dangerousness, they passed a law that allowed like a computer model in order to give the judge a score so that they can hold people on bond or without bond based on their behavior. They have not seen the same giant increase in theft that the city of New York has said.
0: The city's latest figure shows a 44 percent rise in shoplifting across the five boroughs in just the past year.
4: Um, We're not seeing any real material change in New Jersey in terms of uh, retail theft. It's all in the city. Mm -hmm. All in the city. All the city. By the way, this chart ends in 2022. We're up an additional 44 percent this year according to the numbers is there more desperation now than before how come we've never seen anything like this in the statistics how come during the great recession which by the way disproportionately impacted blacks and hispanics overwhelmingly the greatest recession in the history of this country since the great depression we saw nowhere near this elevation in terms of crime in terms of retail theft specifically now to be clear while we did see a small increase in theft related offenses after the great recession crime overall continually went down the greatest recession since the great depression and crime went down as the, was the normal trend in fact you can find articles trying to describe and explain the crime wave that all the david doyle types predicted that never actually came to fruition the reason why is because we still prosecuted them we didn't have raise the age which makes it nearly impossible for us to prosecute youthful offenders we went over the numbers for raise the age i will put the chart up on screen 16 year olds prior to raise the age were rearrested for regular crimes about 38 of the time that jumped up to 49 percent of the time the percentage of 16 year olds re-arrested for felony was at 25.7 percent that jumped up to 35.1 percent and the percentage arrested for violent felonies went from 17.7 percent to 27.2 percent now we also have less is more now what used to happen when you got arrested for one of these petty crimes is typically you would be put on some form of probation or if you were locked up and released you would be put on parole There would be conditions of that. One of those conditions would be not being able to commit another crime and not getting rearrested. Otherwise, you'd have your probation or parole violated. Well, guess what? That's incredibly difficult to do statewide in New York. So we have added in a bunch of different factors that lessen the consequences for retail theft and unsurprisingly we have an explosion in retail theft and by the way you know who's into the retail theft game now organized crime what we're seeing now is an overrepresentation in organized crime in this and this is because they're low-level soldiers that are going out and committing these thefts know that there's not going to be any consequences for it if you help those people to not be in desperate situations
5: guess what there's less of a chance of them doing things like shoplifting. This is obvious. Why are we debating this? Even Tim Pool there, he's sitting back in this conversation because
4: he... He knows Emma's right. Now, again, he's proposing this welfareism that we should do in order to solve this. This is exactly the attitude I was highlighting when I talked about the 1960s, where the dominant ideology in the criminal justice system was penal welfareism. The, the lead would play a role because it was in gasoline. So it was in right, the air. air yeah, so it's and impacting we know everyone.
1: It's, it depresses uh, uh, brain function and things like that. True. Yeah. But
4: I think public policy has a huge impact as well, because, again, we saw a dramatic crime. The crime wave started... In the 1960s, right? And this is when we started embracing this idea that poverty was the root cause of crime, that this was more the realm of the social workers, all things that sound really familiar to today. And from 1960 all the way to 1979 the incarceration rate, even though in raw numbers it was rising, was dropping per capita. The criminals are committing crimes not because they're violating the rules of our society and they need to be punished and there's lax consequences. They're doing it because they're desperate and we just need to help them with welfare spending. David, why don't you explain to me exactly why the war on poverty, trillions of dollars being spent on trying to alleviate it, the poverty rate going down during that same period of time, was the start of the crime wave, not the end of the crime wave. These policies do not work, and they also fall under two different fallacies that I've also addressed before. First and foremost, the idea that if you are desperate, therefore we should remove consequences for you because that desperation somehow excuses you from committing crimes is ridiculous and absurd in every possible way. In fact, the reverse is true and should be instituted into policy. If you have something that predisposes you to commit crimes and the regular deterrence out there are not enough to stop you from doing that then you need a stronger disincentive in order to counterbalance that incentive what essentially david doyle is arguing for is if we know somebody is a serial rapist we should take into account that honestly he's going through some things internally and release him early from prison even though we know for a fact that that person will go out and commit another rape again it doesn't seem to make sense when i talk about it in that kind of way or we talk about a serial killer thing Well, he has an underlying condition, some kind of mental illness. Honestly, what we should do is go softer on this person. Ted Bundy killed a bunch of people and treat that underlying condition. Sounds pretty stupid when you say it related to another crime. Well, it's just as stupid when you're talking about it in terms of retail theft. We should stop releasing these people. Again, if we arrest and hold 327 people, a third of the retail thefts are gone. They're gone. They're out of here. That's it. You solved the problem. Taking care. Put them in jail. All of a sudden, everything's all good. On top of that, these people are driving the city into poverty. When they put these stores out of business, the people who work at those stores, guess what? They lose their jobs. The people who shop at those stores, if they stay in business, they pay increased prices. The insurance premiums to operate a business in those areas go up. That affects everybody. Small business owners in the area. Investment dries up in the area. What we're watching is a buffoon trying to advocate for the poor while setting up a set of policies that by far and away are the greatest way to drive people into poverty that we know of
5: if you help those people to not be in desperate situations guess what there's less of a chance of them doing things like shoplifting this is obvious why are we debating this even Tim Pool there, he's sitting back in this conversation because he
4: he knows is right. The other fallacy being put forward by the Rational National, by David Doyle, this complete and utter buffoon, is called the root cause fallacy. And this is the idea that even if you properly identify a root cause accurately, which, by the way, he did not. I've proven this false over and over again. That, therefore, the most effective way to treat the problem is to address that root cause. And the analogy I always like to go to is earthquakes. We know for a fact that the earthquakes are being caused by shifting tectonic plates but if i were to give you 10 billion dollars to deal with the issue of earthquakes you probably wouldn't spend all of that money on trying to control tectonic plates moving beneath our feet it's far more efficient for you to spend that money addressing the symptoms which is earthquaking buildings so that people don't get injured that's what we care about so the question that you should ask yourself the question you really need to consider if you're actually trying to address the problem of retail theft in new York City is, should you hold the 327 people that are responsible for a third of all the shoplifting in the city, incapacitate them so that they do not reoffend again, or should you set up a Medicare for All system at a national level in the hopes that that will downstream impact those 327 people? Obviously, one is way quicker, way more in the control of the New York City government, and way more efficient at addressing the issue actually being brought up. Now, of course, they'll say do the Medicare for All because they already want that policy. If you notice, every one of their causes already has a preloaded solution that they already want to do, and they'll spring upon you for various other things. When I talk about a specific problem, I identify the best intervention for that specific problem because I'm actually trying to solve it not trying to sell you on an agenda which is completely unrelated by any means necessary again another dishonest tactic from this utter doof david doyle so yeah david anytime you want to talk about crime anytime you want to bring up a chart and say oh it's proven in this article you should probably actually read the article anytime you're trying to look for a clip of me you're probably gonna have to shorten it even more to make me look bad because i was correct on each and every one of my points and i've been proven more correct over time anytime you try to cut it out of context and try to give her the win. Funny how you couldn't show the clip of me supposedly conceding this point because I absolutely did not and I followed it up with the exact arguments I put forward here. Your schmuck you're a coward, as we establish in the open of this. Why don't you own up to the fact and call out the fact that one of your buddies on the leftist mafia participated in a vicious, nasty smear, and you're not being nice to her by, all oh, pretending like that didn't happen. Show some honor, show some integrity, call out the lies on your side from your buddies, and then study up for 10 to 15 years, and maybe you'll be able to slip a single point by me. But hey, those are just my thoughts. Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. If you like this video, show by leaving a like subscribe for more content follow me on my social medias support me via the support links in the description of this video this has been me talking about the rational nationals complete and utter failure till next time
1: Order now